0: Psalm 127 is the text for our sermon today. You know, uh, as we read this text, please, read, uh, please stand one more time with me as we read this text, Psalm 127, verses three through five. The Psalm says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior So are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Well, Father, you are indeed holy, God, and we worship you for your holiness. God, I pray that you would continue your work in our lives to make us holy as you are, God, and I pray as as your grace is being shown to us right now, as you've given us another day to open up your word, to, to look into your revelation on how we can become more holy, God, and to make our families more holy as well, God. I pray that you would bless, bless the preaching of your word, God. Open up your word to us. Open up our minds, Father. Give us the grace to do the hard things, God, the hard things that will actually set us apart from the world. God, let us and let our families be different. Let us be holy, let us be set apart from this world, God, that when people see us, they see Christ. And so God, I pray that you would use your word today to this end, bless my mouth and and bless our congregation's ears. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. Well today we are going to devote our time in our study to a calling of God, a calling of God that's given to some, a calling of God which is a great honor, privilege, a great responsibility, and this is the great calling of being a parent. And Pastor Emilio asked me to to present this topic today as he's been doing his series through practical theology and I just wanted to preface this sermon by by saying, even though that Pastor Milita asked me to to do this topic, uh, probably most likely because I do have children myself, I just wanted to say that any faithful pastor uh, could just as well present this topic with just as much authority because the Bible truly does reveal to us all of the principles that we need in raising our children faithfully. And That's not to say that we can't gain experiential wisdom as we parent ourselves, as we do this for years, but I just want to reiterate the Bible's authority and the Bible's sufficiency on the topic of being a parent. And so I just want to make another caveat, too, before we really get into this, and that is the reality that just as with marriage, not all have been called to be parents, Not all have been called to be parents. I think having children is most certainly to be the norm, as God did in the beginning, uh, command us to be fruitful and multiply, Uh, but there are those who certainly do have extenuating circumstances that prevent them from having children. Many couples who even desire to have children cannot, uh, due to health issues and things like this that prevent them um, the Bible itself tells us that it is the Lord who opens and closes the womb. And so we need to remember these things and to recognize that there are divinely providential exceptions for not falling, falling into what is the normal pattern of, of marriage and child rearing. I think the Lord Jesus Christ himself is a perfect example of one who the Apostle Paul was describing maybe in 1 Corinthians 7. One who is going to be um, set apart to have undivided interest in the kingdom of God and will therefore forsake marriage and will live a single life uh, to fully devote themselves to the Lord's work. And in in doing that, um, they're in no way sinning. But obviously for most of us, I think we've chosen to enter into this divinely instituted covenant relationship of marriage. And in the Bible, marriage really is set apart Um, as the quintessential relationship given to man whereby we have the great privilege of modeling the gospel. As Pastor Emilio presented to us last week, we really have the opportunity to show the world through our marriages um, just how Christ treats his beloved bride and and how the bride is to submit and to love Christ, the Savior. But this relationship of, of parent to child Um, is also another option, another way for us to model gospel truth. If you think about it, think about the loving care of God the Father for His Son. Think about the willful submission and the obedience of Jesus Christ to His Father. These are things that we can consciously emulate in our relationships with our children. And so with these things in mind, let's look again at Psalm 127. This is really just going to be an introductory text um, for the sermon today, but it just so, it just so uh, fitly describes to us God's design and God's intention for the giving of children. Let me read that text again, Psalm 127, beginning in verse 3. It says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. And how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. And so first I just want to point out from this text here, just notice how the word of God gives such an extremely positive outlook on the gift of children. In other words, the gift of children should not bring to you um, worry and burden. Children, the text says, are a blessing and a help. Verse 3 says that they're they're gifts of the Lord, that the fruit of the womb is a reward. Children are not to be a curse. Children are not given to you as a burden. And as verse 5 goes on to say, Um, it may raise a question why might one not be ashamed to speak with his enemies at the gate uh, because his children are many well the answer is that this man who appears at the gate with his children has faithful children who are a blessing to him he stands at the gate with children who are supporting of him who are useful to him who are helpful allies of his and his children are the pride of his faithful shepherding of his home. So a man with with faithful children is a happy man. He's a blessed man. And all of us who have children want our children to be faithful, we want our children to fear the Lord. And so now I want us to look at exactly what the Bible tells us about how we are to raise our children so that they will be those faithful children so that they will be those allies, so that we can be proud of them. And and let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6 for this teaching from the scriptures, Ephesians chapter 6. Because the Bible does address the topic of child rearing in many different books of the Bible and and teaches it in many different ways. But Ephesians chapter 6 is really going to be our primary point of reference for the teaching. And I'm actually going to read Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, for context sake as well. Beginning in Ephesians 6, verse 1, it says, Children, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And now verse 4, more directly to us, verse 4 says, Fathers, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice verse 4 says, fathers, fathers. And also notice how the focus changed there in verse 4 from verse 1. Because in verse 1, we have the command of God to obey their parents, mother and father. Obey your parents, God tells the children. But now in verse 4, as Paul goes on to give us this imperative and this command about how to raise up our children, he speaks directly to the fathers. And Paul's making this distinction because fathers are to be the leaders of the home. We're to be the shepherds of our household. We're, we are the ones who are given uh, the task and the job to execute oversight of everything that's going on in our homes. And there's the direct call here to fathers specifically to make sure that your child is being raised up properly. We as fathers are given the responsibility for overseeing and managing of our homes. Now, there's a very interesting parallel in the scriptures um, to how fathers are to give oversight to their families and how pastors are to give oversight to the church, and I want to show us this parallel. Just let me read a text to you because it's interesting that Paul notes the requirement for one uh, who is seeking to be an elder in the church uh, he gives this requirement, this necessary attribute for one who wants to be a pastor, actually even a deacon as well. He says, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he, how will he take care of the church of God? So in essence, what Paul is saying is, if you can't manage your small little household this 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 group of of people who you have intimate contact with intimate knowledge of um, intimate communication with if you can't manage this small uh, group of people how can you manage an entire household of god with who knows how many people in it but what i what i bring this up for to show you is what i think is so helpful about this analogy is It is noticed that even as pastors are given the job of oversight of the whole church, it's not pastors who alone do all of the work and all of the ministry of the church. It's actually you, the body, who carries out many of the functions uh, that are to take place in the household of God. Uh, We are given responsibility to oversee it and, and to lead by example when we work with you. But it's actually you, the church, that carries out many of the functions and many of the responsibilities that we're given the task to oversee. And so the analogy is just as in the church, uh, you, the body, carries out many of the duties, so in the family we see that wives are given the responsibility and the task and the job to carry out many of the functions and many of the responsibilities that fathers uh, are, are at the end going to be uh, held accountable for. Uh, the women of the house are, are quite often with the children much more than we are. And so we'll see how the, the wives actually end up carrying out much of these responsibilities for us and under our oversight. I think that's what's uh, being alluded to there in Ephesians six one, where it said children obey your parents. Both parents are, are to be obeyed and therefore both parents are actually giving direction and giving uh, commands to the children that are to be obeyed. And even with all that said though, fathers, as as the text in verse 4 says, at the end of the day we're going to be held accountable for how all these things are carried out in our homes while we're gone. The Lord will, will call us to account for these things. He speaks directly to us on this. God doesn't single out our wives. God doesn't single out school teachers, even Sunday school teachers. He calls us to be accountable for the raising up of our children. And so, with all that being said, um, as this will be a job for both us and our wives, let's look in obedient faith here at what God has revealed to us on this matter of raising children, because He's going to give us some very succinct uh, but some very pointed directions on how we're to fulfill this call of raising our children. Let's look back at Ephesians 6.4. Because Paul's first here going to state a negative instruction of what we're not to do. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So as Paul begins his instruction, he says what not to do. Do not provoke your children to anger. You may wonder why maybe Paul starts, starts off with a negative, what you're not supposed to do. And the reason for this is that there's many ways that we can deal with our children that aren't actually going to produce the obedience. They're not going to produce the attitudes, the submission that we're desiring from our children. There's many ways we can go about parenting wrongly. And Paul here gives us a warning right up front. Obviously, um, this was a prevalent enough issue to the Gentiles that Paul was writing that he has to state this right up front and give a warning against mistreatment of children. Let me just read for you the, the, the parallel passage to this in Colossians. You don't have to turn there. Colossians 3.21 just gives us another aspect and dimension to how we're not to be raising up our children. Because Paul says the same thing there. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Do not exasperate them. And he tells us why. He says, so that they will not lose heart. Don't exasperate your children so that they do not lose heart. Provoking your kids to anger, causing them to lose heart. Uh, these types of things come from dealing with your children in, a, in an overbearing, in a harsh, in an unreasonable way. And what that's going to lead to is, for all intents and purposes, your children are going to give up. They're going to give up trying to please you. And worse, they're going to give up trying to please the Lord and to keep His commandments. And that's definitely not the desired outcome that we're looking for here. We want from our children a willful submission. We want our children to be willing to uh, obey us. We want them to be willing to obey the Lord. And this is going to be produced from a very orderly, a very reasonable, predictive, consistent uh, means of discipline and correction. And we are not to provoke our children to anger. And now on this point, I'm just going to be very honest here. Uh, concerning this warning that Paul gives here not to provoke our children to anger, not to exasperate them. And uh, it's, it's this. It's, it's not that I haven't seen exasperated children before because I think I have seen children um, who seem like they're uh, wanting to just practically lose heart. But for the most part, I think we as a society and even as a church I think that we have so spoiled our kids, I think that we have such low expectations for what we expect from our kids' behavior that I'm not too sure most of us need to be too worried about crossing this line of exasperating our children or provoking them to anger. I think most of us are falling into the other ditch. I think most of us, in dealing with our kids, we need to be more focused on the following positive instruction that Paul gives us in verse 4 because he says don't provoke them to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I think most of us need to to concentrate on this positive instruction from Paul. Paul says we're to bring them up. Why do we need to bring up our children? Why does Paul begin his, his teaching like this? Well, the reality is, brothers and sisters, that our children are not up. Our children are down. Our children are down. Our children are born into a helpless state, not only physically, but more importantly, spiritually. Our children are born into a state of, of separation. The Bible says they're in enmity with God. And so we as parents can never forget the true state of our children. I know it's very easy to get comfortable. It's very easy to get lazy with this reality uh, of the state that our children really are in with God because our children are so cute. Our children look so, na- they naturally look so innocent. But I think it's these, in these moments we must bring our thoughts captives to the, world, uh, the Word of God and realize just who it is and just what it is that we're to be doing. We're to be bringing up children who the Bible says are haters of God. That's the harsh reality that the Bible describes. The Bible says in, in Ephesians chapter 2 that everyone, prior to their conversions, are by nature children of wrath. By their very nature. King David understood this about himself. Let me read to you uh, King David's description of himself in Psalm 51.5. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, what David's not saying is that the act of his parents coming together to conceive him was sinful. What David's actually saying is at the moment of his conception, at the moment that his actual life began, that he was a sinner. From the very beginning, from the very moment he was created, David was a sinner. Now, this also shows us something else that's very important to keep in mind and it's at, it's from this very point that parenting begins. It's at, it's at the very moment of conception, this is where life begins and this is where parenting is to begin. This is where your child needs to be brought up. This is where your child needs to be prayed for. This is where your child and your household needs to be prepared for because beginning at conception, You have a sinner in your womb who needs to be saved. And so it begins there. As most of us, as we we think about our children who have actually been uh, brought forth uh, past the womb and have been graciously given life, um, it's but by the grace of God that our children are actually born into families who are having the word of God given to them. It's an amazing grace that our children Um, have the word of God given to them at home. It's an amazing grace that we can bring our children to a church like this where they can hear the preaching of the word of God and we can amen everything that they're hearing. Our children are indeed blessed by God. Now, we're not Presbyterians, but it is undeniable that God does have a pattern of showing his saving grace and showering his saving grace on the children of those who believe. And this is simply because wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ is, salvations will follow. And so this is what I encourage you with, and, and, and that I ask you to thank the Lord for, is the fact that your children have the Word of God being taught for them to them from their birth. And we just need to continue to give them that word and to pray that the Lord God would make that effectual in their lives. And so this is the task. The task in general is to bring up our children from the state that they're born into. But now Paul gets more specific into how we're about to uh, how we're to accomplish that task. And let's look at that again in verse four. He says, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline and instruction. Now there's much discussion on the exact meanings of these words in the commentaries. And the difficulty that the scholars have is as you look at these words, paideia and nuthesia, discipline and instruction, the trouble that that, that they seem to have is that these words have such a very similar meaning that it's really hard to bring out all the nuance of of why Paul used these two words together. Uh, The general consensus, after you do a word study on these words is that the word discipline seems to be a more general description of how we're to be raising up our children. The word discipline here doesn't um, only speak to what what you might naturally assume. It's not only speaking of corrective discipline. It's also including with that word uh, some aspects of oral direction that you'll give to your children. The second word there Paul uses instruction. Uh, This word has the more narrow semantic range, the more narrow meaning, which which is strictly referring to the verbal aspects and teaching that we give our children. But let's consider the first word first. Let's look at discipline. And since this is the more general of the two words given, we're just actually going to concentrate on the, the meanings of this word that are distinct from the word instruction. And so in order to introduce us to the word discipline and how the Bible uses the word, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're not only going to gain a helpful understanding of how the the Bible uses the word discipline, but in Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to be given the greatest example of godly discipline. The greatest example of godly discipline, which actually turns out to be the very discipline that God gives us is children. Hebrews chapter 12 We're going to read a good section of this because it's so helpful. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. It says, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons." furthermore we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful Yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I know there's a lot there in that text. And for most of it, we're just going to have to be patient until Pastor Emilio gets to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, But for our purposes today, just notice the simple fact, especially from verse 6, that God disciplines, God scourges those whom he loves those whom he receives. God disciplines and scourges his children whom he loves. And so from this, I just want us to take home that the most important thing I want us to get from Hebrews chapter 12 and how that relates to how we discipline our children, this is the point to get. It's that discipline is not antithetical to grace. Discipline is not contradictory to grace. And discipline is not opposed to grace. Discipline is a part of God's love. It's those who, verse 8 says there in Hebrews 12, who were not disciplined by God, they can actually know they're not His at all. They are in fact, the Bible says, illegitimate children. And so if you, if you never receive the discipline of God, you should be very concerned about the grace of God in your life. If your life, if your Christian life seems to be a walk in the park all the time, you should be very concerned about that. Something may be dreadfully wrong. But now to us, um, God's adopted children, in thinking about God's corrective discipline, thinking about his scourging on us as it's described in verse 6, God's discipline comes to us in many different ways. Uh, God's discipline comes to us in ways such as rebukes, that you may receive from a brother or sister in the church. Um, God's discipline and scourging may come through the terrible yet gracious conviction of his Holy Spirit when you sin. And although this analogy breaks down a bit when we think about God's scourging of us because he doesn't reach down from heaven and and scourge us physically, even though at times I think I'd much rather have a physical lashing than the, than the lashing that comes from the spirit. And that's terrible. David describes this state of being scourged by God. Just let me read to you Psalm 32, verse 3. This is what David, this is how David describes the discipline of God. He says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my vitality was drained away as the fever heat of summer. And so King David understood the discipline of God. He felt it just as we do. The discipline of God is really an unbearable state for a true Christian to be in, but thank God that he brings this discipline and doesn't just leave us to ourselves. God has a purpose in our discipline. Hebrews 12 verse 10 says it's so that we'll share in his holiness so we'll share in his holiness. His painful discipline is for our good. And so that's the setup. And the question from that becomes, how does the model of God's discipline and God's scourging of us, how does this translate into how we are supposed to discipline and and train up our children whom we also love? And so to gain the wisdom on the answer to this question, we need to turn no further than the wisdom literature of God's word, the book of Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs, specifically Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, to see this aspect of God's loving discipline. Proverbs thirteen twenty-four. It says this, he who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Disciplines him diligently. So this is a a very common thing in the book of Proverbs. A very common Hebrew parallelism is being drawn out here. The rod is being paralleled to the loving, diligent discipline of a father. And so the discipline of the rod, the discipline of the belt or the switch, as you may call it, corporal punishment, in other words, in the Bible, to God, is not some extreme, it's not some unreasonable form of punishment, as many these days would try to have you believe. Um, It's not that at all. And not that I think that I really should have to, but um, I just want to follow in the wise footsteps of all the respected pastors that I listen to as they preach through this topic let me just qualify what we mean by the rod and in, in this kind of corporal discipline. Because when I speak of the rod in corporal punishment and spanking, I do not, of course, mean some kind of out-of-control beating of your children. And that's not at all what we're talking about here. We're not talking about something that could be considered child abuse. Um, God has given your children a perfect little area to receive their discipline and spankings. And it's a place that I can tell you, it's a place where you can receive an endless, countless number of spankings, and you don't have to be worried at all about permanent damage to the child's body. You know, I'm living proof of this. Um, so that's what that's the area that we're to be using when we discipline our children. There's also, I just put down, there, there's some practical steps uh, that we can take to make sure, that your application of God's discipline doesn't become inappropriate, so that God's discipline doesn't become something that it's not supposed to be. And I just have one here. I, I'm hoping that in small groups we can get into some more of these details, but one helpful thing that you can do um, with your disobedient children is to let them know upfront how many spankings they're about to receive. This can be very helpful. Um, for a couple of reasons actually. Um, Your child's gonna know what to expect. And your child, as you're spanking them, in their mind is not gonna wonder, is daddy out of control? Is daddy taking his anger out on me? Is daddy lost control? and Is he he beating me? Another way that this can help by letting your child know how many spankings uh, they're gonna receive is that it can help you, the parent, as well. Because as you study these guys, I've been studying the Tripp brothers and guys like this who teach on on, uh, parenting. You know, one thing they always say is never spank your children when you're angry. My problem with that is I don't know if that's entirely possible. And so that's what I'm saying is that I think this is a way that in a means by which you can set from the very get-go how many spankings you're about to give your child. This will guard your child's heart. It'll guard your child's mind and their perception of you as you discipline them, that they'll know that daddy and mommy are not out of control. Um, They're giving me the allotted discipline that I deserve for my sin. And I think this can also help you as well from from getting uh, overzealous in the discipline of your children. Um, I think one of the most obvious questions uh, that should arise as the Bible tells us to implement the rod is this, how do we know if our discipline with the rod is enough? How do we know if we're, if we're disciplining our children enough with the rod? Well, the answer to that is your child's behavior. Your child's behavior is going to be your guide to whether you are disciplining your child enough or not. And it seems very straightforward, but that, that is the answer. If your child is not obeying upon your first command, upon your first request, if your children are still um, continuing and persisting in disobedience and they're not fearful of the rod, they're not fearful of the, per- uh, the um, repercussions of their sin, then, brothers and sisters, you're obviously not spanking them enough or you're not spanking them hard enough. But I just want to reassure you that, that God's prescribed discipline, his prescribed corrective discipline is not ineffective What's ineffective is our inconsistent application of God's discipline. And so the problem is going to be with us um, on that issue. I know it's hard to spank your children. Trust me, I know it's hard. But take comfort that God is not unaware that um, this discipline is painful. God's not unaware. Hebrews 12, 11 that we read, I'll just read it to you again. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So the, the painful punishment has a glorious end, the training of your children. Another thing that we need to keep in mind on what, what actually is it seems to be a very controversial, very difficult topic of, of corporal punishment these days is that God, and therefore the Bible, is not ashamed of corporal punishment. God is not ashamed of this teaching. In fact, the Bible actually speaks in glowing terms of this form of discipline. The Word of God presents spanking as a wonderful means of grace in the life of your child. I just read Proverbs 13:24 a minute ago. It, it parallels the rod as being a way to lovingly discipline your children. Let me read for you another text, Proverbs 29.15. Proverbs 29.15, as as a means of grace in your your child's life, it actually says that the the rod will dispel the foolishness that's bound up in the heart of your child. It says it like this, Proverbs 29.15, the rod and reproof give wisdom. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way bring shame to his mother. A child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Brothers and sisters, our children will be a reflection of how diligent and faithful we are in our homes. Their behavior will be a direct reflection of how faithful we are to obey God's commands and how faithful we are to raise up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. One more text on this, last one, Proverbs 23.13. This is interesting because this text actually goes as far to say that the discipline of the rod is actually a means by which you can actually save your child from death, save their very soul from death, it says. Proverbs 23.13 says, Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Sheol, that abode of death that in the Proverbs is normally associated with the abode of death of the wicked. And so the, the rod will, will rescue his soul from Sheol in, the, in the, the foolishness of his folly. And so again, discipline, even corporal punishment, is not antithetical to grace. Grace. Never find yourself saying or even thinking something like, I love my children too much to spank them. Don't think that. That's, that's actually a very unbiblical thought. God commands the rod because the sin of your child is obviously so serious to him that he prescribes an immediate and a sharply felt repercussion for sin's presence in the, in the life of your child. It's that serious to God. And if you really struggle with this whole concept, if, if you're really just not there, um, just consider for a moment the repercussions of living under the old covenant with the disobedient child. Let me read you Deuteronomy 21.18. It says, if any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, and when they chastise him, he will not listen to them Verse 21 goes on to say, then all of the men of the city shall stone him to death and you shall remove the evil from your midst and all of Israel will hear of it and fear. And so this child being stoned to death under the old covenant is is not a disobedient baby. It's not a disobedient toddler who doesn't know right from wrong. Um, Deuteronomy describes this this son to be stoned as a son who's obviously old enough. It describes him as a drunkard and a glutton. Um, But just consider the seriousness of this punishment, this God-ordained punishment of the stoning of a child. And just because God has done away with the old covenant system of governing his people, we're no longer set up like Israel. We can't bring our disobedient children to the men of the city. if we did that, we'd probably be the ones thrown in jail or stoned for uh, allowing the men of our city to know that we, st- that we spank our, parent, our our children. That's how um, unpolitically correct it's become. Uh, but this is, the, this is the seriousness of God's view of a disobedient child. And just because the, the punishment and the way that God is governing as people now has changed, don't think that God has changed his view of the seriousness of disobedient children. Let me just read to you what the Apostle Paul considers disobedient children to be. He considers it to be a sign of Gentile depravity. Notice from Romans chapter 1, verse 30, just what other sins the Apostle Paul lumps together with disobedient children. Romans 1.30 says, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of, e- of evil, disobedient to parents. It's a very serious sin to have disobedient children. Paul also includes disobedient children as being a sign of the last days. 2 Timothy 3, verses one through four, he says this, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, the list goes on and on. But this is the biblical view of the seriousness of having a child who is disobedient. It's an utterly disgraceful sin for children to be disobedient, and biblically speaking, so it's, it's not a small sin, it's not a small problem. It's something as parents that we need to be very concerned about and very diligent about. I know most of you are are familiar with this teaching of Scripture. I just reiterate it because I know that it's it seems to be very easy to question the wisdom of God on this matter because it is so hard to inflict pain on our children. I know it's hard but we must trust God on this matter as with all matters. I emphasize the ride simply because as you go through the book of Proverbs, we've been reading through the book of Proverbs at home, this is the only Corrective discipline prescribed in the book of Proverbs. That's it. You can read through the book of Proverbs, which, when you when you begin that book, it's a plea from a father to a son to heed his warnings, to heed his instructions. That's what the book of Proverbs a lot of. That's a lot of what it is. And as you read through that book, um, you're going to find the rod. You're not going to find any mention of timeouts. You're not gonna find groundings, writing I'm sorry on the papyrus, none of these things. It's just the rod. It's the rod and what Paul goes on to describe in Ephesians 6:4, 4. It's, it's discipline and instruction. So let's go on back in, in Ephesians 6, 4 because we don't only raise our children up through discipline in the strictest sense of the word. We also raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. As I said earlier, this word instruction, it's the word with the more narrow meaning uh, than this broader term discipline. It's more narrow in that it's it's simply referring to the oral instruction, the oral teachings that we give to our children. And verbal instruction goes hand in hand with discipline. You can't separate them. Paul commands both, discipline and instruction. And and so with discipline, we can bring about um, behavioral modification. Anybody can do that with discipline. Anybody can bring about uh, behavioral modification, but it's with instruction. It's with the verbal instruction of the Lord that we're actually able to get into the mind and, more importantly, the soul of our children. And this is where the ultimate battle must be won, in the soul, in the mind. Because if your children obey you perfectly at every command with a smile and a yes, sir, Yet if they're only obeying because they're afraid of a spanking, then their holiness is only skin deep. And at the end of the day, that's not going to profit them anything. And so their obedience, our children's obedience, must go farther than a fear of spanking. Our children's obedience must go farther than even a respect for us. Our children must fear the Lord himself. And so notice here, that's what we have. Notice that it's the discipline and instruction, not of ourselves, it's not any old worldly philosophy. It's not something uh, that somebody posted on Facebook. It's not something you hear on Oprah. Hopefully you're not hearing anything on Oprah. It's the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's whose discipline and instruction it is. It's the Lord himself who our children must be obeying, who must be that's who they must be obeying. It's the Lord who our children must know. And so as I said, unless you give them the instruction of the Lord with discipline, all the spankings in the world will be futile in the end. And so since so much hinges then on the verbal instruction, uh, you may be wondering, well, why doesn't Paul here spell out for us the details of exactly what I'm supposed to be instructing my children about? Well, the answer is that for God's people, just like discipline, giving your children instruction is no new command. No new command. Paul surely has all of of the Lord's previous instructions in mind. We can go all the way back to the very first books of the Bible to see that instruction is part of our raising up of our children. So let's do that. Let's go all the way back, for example, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, Here we're going to see the necessity of of the instruction that we're to give to our children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning of verse 4, says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. In verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. The instruction of the Lord has been a necessity for the people of God to pass down to their children since the very writings of Moses. And so just look here at Deuteronomy chapter 6. In light of, of even this teaching here, as we think of what kinds of things are we, be, are we to be instructing our children about, um, let's just see what even this text here has to present to us about what Moses was commanding the people to teach their children. Number one, theology. Number one, theology. Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. We're to be teaching our children about God. We're to be teaching our children who God is, and we're to be teaching our children who God is not. We also need to be warning our children about those who will come and present to our children other gods. We need to teach our children theology and to warn them. Number two from Deuteronomy 6.5, the worship of God, we need to be instructing our children about. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. As we know, the true worship of God is only possible through the access that we gain through Jesus Christ. And so this is what your instruction needs to focus on. The very gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to teach and instruct your children how they can actually gain access to God so that they might actually be able to truly worship Him. So they might actually be able to truly pray to him, truly sing to him when they come to church. We need to teach our kids the gospel. We need to point our kids away from themselves and and as good as their obedience gets, that's not good enough. They can be perfectly obedient from this day forward and they will still go to hell because of all the sins they've already committed. We need to teach our kids gospel distinctives We need to teach our kids justification by faith versus justification by works. Our kids need to understand that these basic gospel truths, and they can handle it. Don't be afraid to teach your kids about justification. Teach your kids that God needs to declare them righteous. I'm glad that that our kids come to our Sunday schools where Amy's teaching our kids about these things, where Lisa's teaching our kids about these things. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, this is is a grace that our children have that millions, billions in this world do not have. Thank you God for that. And so this is to be our primary instruction, it's that of the gospel. In discipline, what we do is we reveal to our children their sin, we reveal to our children the harsh realities and the consequences of their sin, but it's with this instruction, It's with this verbal instruction that we have the blessed opportunity of pointing our children to their only hope in this life. And that's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's gonna come through the instruction that you need to be giving your children. For me personally, this is one of the, the greatest blessings of having children. This is one of the greatest blessings is that, in a sense, God gives you disciples. You know, you can you can catch many of us running up and down the streets of Frisco and Denton trying to make and chase down disciples. But if you have children, God has actually laid at your feet souls who are just there and ripe and under your influence to to teach and to raise up and to discipline and instruct. It's everything that that somebody who loves the gospel and loves other people wants. You have disciples in your home if you have children, so take advantage. Of the fact that you have these little souls under your influence. Pour into your children. Pour in time and teaching into your children. Take what you learn here from church and teach it to your children. Make sure that they understand. Because our children have questions. They're hearing what Pastor Emilio is saying up here. Most of the time I tell them, be quiet, we we'll have to wait. You know, can't talk during church, but they have questions. And so take it home to them. Remind them of the questions that they asked and answer answer them. Let them know who God is and how they can be saved. Um, And I have a little note here. Although we need to be making disciples with our children, uh, brothers, never forget that your primary disciple is your wife. Your primary disciple is your wife. You need to be pouring into your wife time, love, theology, doctrine, all of these things. That's going to benefit your children as well. Because as I said, your wife is who's going to be with your children while you're gone at work. You need to pour into her so that she can minister to your children all day while you're gone. That's what you want to happen. So pour into your wives so that she can pour into your children. And So that's it. That's Ephesians 6, 4. These are God's principles for the raising up of our children The end goal of childrearing, therefore, is to raise up our children to know the Lord, to raise up our children to be obedient to him, because brothers and sisters, never forget that it's better that your children come to know the Lord than for them to become professional athletes, professional musicians, doctors, lawyers, even theologians. The most important thing is the actual conversion of your child's heart. And so work on that heart. Work on the, that heart of your little child. Do as much surgery as you can on that little heart, and by the grace of God, they will come to know the Lord, and you'll have, a, you'll have the Holy Spirit flowing even more in your house than you did before. And that's what we want. The conversion of our children's heart is the goal of our discipline and our instruction. May God have mercy on us and on our children. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for your word, God. And Father, I ask you now for your grace because we fall so short, God. We fall so short, God. We're so lazy. We're so complacent, God, with these souls that you've given to us. God, have mercy on us. God, give us the grace that we need, God, to pour into these little souls, God, that they may be saved. Father, I pray for the soul of every child in our church right now. God, I lift them up to you. God, I pray that our children would fear you. God, that our children would be awakened to the miserable state that they are in fact in. Yes, their lives seem great. They have loving parents, they have food, they have clothes, they have vehicles, they have friends. But God, unless they have repented of their sins, unless they've forsaken the world and turned to faith in your Son, God, they are going to be damned. God, awaken us to the reality, God, that our children must be saved. God, have mercy on us. God, have mercy on our children's souls. We beg of you, in Jesus' name, amen.